Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad we're going to be together for as much time as you can spend with me today. Maybe you listen on the podcast at night, so welcome. Uh, I'm looking at so many places where I want to just give God praise. He's so awesome in power. He fights our battles for us. Um, He's a God of blessing. He's the keeper of promises. He's our hope and our deliverer. He's our sustainer. He's our shield. He's our help. He's our source of gladness. And he is completely trustworthy. But what can we expect from God now? This is the title of a book by my first guest, Pastor Dr. Uh, Timothy Jeffreyon. He's written a book called What We Can Expect from God Now, Seven Spiritual Truths for Trusting God in Troubled Times. Now, if you are struggling and maybe a little unsure of what it is you're believing or how you're supposed to be living out your faith in the midst of suffering and personal crisis, this hour is going to be for you. So if you're having uh, trouble seeing God in the midst of your trouble or your doubt or your uncertainty, uh, get your questions ready. You can certainly send them over at any time, 877-933-2484. And we will get them asked to uh, our guest, uh, Dr. Tim Jeffreyon. He is uh, a pastor and he is a teacher, professor. He does a little bit of everything, a life coach. And he is a uh, uh, professor in M- Myanmar, which is, uh, you know where that is, right? A lot of people talk about that all the time. <laughs> so he's with me now. Tim, welcome. Thank you, Bill. It's- it's great to be back here with you again uh, this month. Yeah, tell, tell the listeners about your work in Myanmar. Well, I've been a teacher there, as an extra professor, visiting professor there uh, since uh, really in 2009. Uh, it was the first time I began teaching there, semester a year. And uh, it's a really tough place, and, but it got tougher. And February 1st, there was a military coup and everything's falling apart. It's just really sad. Uh, so hundreds sorry. have been killed. Wow. A couple thousand and under arrest. It's uh, it's really discouraging. I am so sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Um, and tell me where you are right now. Are you still uh, in the island of uh, Hawaii? I am still on Maui. Oh, God. And okay. we came here so that uh, I could uh, do my teaching I do online teaching. Before the military coup, I was doing online teaching in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Couldn't go out there because of COVID. And uh, because I'm there, here, the hours are much better, so I don't have to teach in the middle of the night. Yeah, good and point. And so the, the five-hour time difference uh, does make a difference. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to your book, because we didn't get a chance to cover it the last time you were on. I know we've got uh, several other things we can cover. So I would like, if you don't mind to get us started in uh, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's such a big topic, and I'm not sure any of us know completely how to understand that. 
Yeah, sure. That's a great place to jump in, Bill. Uh, that is a tough subject. It's one that I, most of my life, I uh, just try to avoid because A, it didn't sound very good. Uh, and B, I didn't know if I really understood it. But as time's gone on, I, I feel like I have a much better understanding of it, at least uh, biblically, and then also observing it in the lives of the people that I work with all around the world. And the sharing the suffering of Christ really functions on a couple different levels. One level is uh, just what you might think is that we're, we might suffer for our faith. Because we have faith in Christ, we'll be you know, ridiculed or ostracized or just excluded, isolated, even persecuted. Many places around the world, every single day, people are actually suffering, suffering physical harm because of their faith in Christ. So that's the obvious identification. And Paul certainly had that when he wrote about it. But there's another level that I think that people don't often think about, and that is suffering the way Jesus suffered when he was on earth. What do I mean by that? Jesus suffered just on the surface, apart from you know God's grand plan of salvation. Jesus suffered because he spoke the truth, and he spoke out to people who didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. He challenged leaders, and he challenged people who should have been in a position or were in a position to help people who were instead using that position only to help themselves and were in fact actually exploiting people or hurting people. And so Jesus spoke out against that and he suffered because of it. And, uh, and so when Paul talks about sharing the suffering of Christ, I think he has both levels in mind. Those of us who are suffering unfairly, unjustly uh, because of the world in which we live. And then secondarily, because actually because of our faith in Christ, we suffer. So, Tim, when I think of what Jesus states so clearly, when he says, in order to follow me, if whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me, I think, well, how do we embrace that? How do we understand that? I mean, Jesus was, of course, um, because he spoke the truth, was always uh, being persecuted, and the Bible is teaching us pretty clearly that uh, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So yeah, we should sure. be prepared for the, the persecution. That should be no surprise. But how do we um, uh, live this life of taking up our cross and following him? I, I, that's, again, a great question, because uh, for many of us, I remember the first time I taught on this, someone raised their hand in the back of the room, and there was a Lutheran church, and this man raised his hand. He said, well, I kind of understand this intellectually, but I've never experienced persecution for my faith. I think there's a lot of people, especially in America, that that really have not experienced anything like that. So let's step back. So yes, ultimately, we need to be prepared, as Christ was, to go to the cross, even though very few of us are actually called to do that. But we step back more broadly. What I believe Jesus is saying is we need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing to suffer in the pursuit of doing God's will, whatever that is. And that can be in your local church, that can be in your neighborhood, that can be at your school, all sorts of different contexts. We will experience suffering when we attempt to do God's will, try to be faithful, whether it's you know social pressure, social punishment, um, or just sacrifice, missing out on things, mm-hmm. or you know, or other or, or giving up things or taking risks in order to show Christ's love or to go and serve somewhere 
or does she mishare the gospel? Uh, so I think that's the broader perspective because none of us is called to do what Jesus is called to do. Fortunately, there's only one savior. Jesus is he, but you and I are called to, to walk in his, his trail. And what that means is what I just explained. Mm-hmm. Because certainly in Jesus's day, Tim, uh, mean carrying a cross meant you were condemned to die on it. And so in order to follow him, I I know that we must be willing to die. Maybe it's dying to ourselves. Maybe it's dying to, uh, you know, decisions we make or things we do or don't do or or, um, being prepared to be imprisoned or um, even tortured for our faith because people are doing that all around the world. Maybe not so much in America right now, but certainly around the world. Yeah, and what I want to be careful of when we talk about this today is that we don't just think about people suffering overseas or, or you know, being prepared for a prison because because all of our listeners today could nod their heads and go, yeah, that's right, we should be willing to do it, but there will be no connection to their life. And so I really want to make the connection to uh, the average American Christian, and that connection that is that call to, as Jesus did, we humble ourselves before God and we say, not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. And then to set out to do that in every way that we know how, and the spirit will guide us. And in so doing, we're going to keep coming to these crossroads that are going to be uncomfortable, that are going to call for sacrifice and choices and decisions. And that's the point of the cross for most American Christians right there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to take seriously. Yeah. Tim, Paul certainly suffered quite a bit. And I think of the way Paul presented suffering. And I don't think he really presented it as a curse, but more almost as a benefit. Oh, absolutely. He said, we will share in Romans 8, says we will share in Christ's glory if we share in his sufferings. I mean, I never liked that verse as a kid. I thought, wow, I don't want to do that. But I but then when you think about it, you think, yes, I want to share in his glory. What does that mean? I want to live fully in God's blessing, God's presence, God's power. That's ultimately what heaven is. And he says, if you want to move into all that God has for you and has called you to, you need to be willing to share in Christ's suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he's saying. And that and there's that the ways I've already talked about and in the social context, the sacrificial side. But Paul also adds in, in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about crucifying our sinful nature. And that is a type of death. Every single day, mm-hmm. I have to crucify my sinful nature uh, because I have desires. I have impulses that do not come from the Holy Spirit. Oh, right. They come from my sinful flesh. Yeah. And I've got to decide, am I going to crucify them or go with them? So Tim, and that's the point of the cross for me. Yeah. So Tim, we're as followers of Christ, we we are setting ourselves up as being at odds with the world. So we're either going to try to seek the favor of men, like it says in Galatians, or are we striving to please men, or are we or are we trying to be a bondservant of Christ? Yeah, that's right. And we're also setting ourselves up against our sinful flesh. Mm-hmm. We need to take that seriously. It's not like we're all, we're the great, perfect people and everybody outside of Christ and the church, they're the bad people. That's the crazy polarization that took place last year in our political world. Mm -hmm. It's just not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. The sinful nature is in every one of us. And and every one of us needs to be willing to look at that and pick up our cross, meaning to 
to die to self, die to flesh, and then move into the world from that kind of humble, obedient mindset. Mm-hmm. If you are a person uh, that you don't know what you can expect from God right now because you're in the midst of some trouble or some doubt or some uncertainty, uh, this would be the absolute time to uh, write and give me the question I can uh, direct towards my guest, the Reverend Dr. Timothy Jeffreyon. He's written a book called What We Can Expect from God Now, Seven Spiritual Truths for Trusting God in Troubled Times. After a short break, we'll be right back with Tim. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Timothy Jeffreyon. He's uh, written a number of books. The one we're chatting about today is What We Can Expect from God Now, Seven Spiritual Truths for Trusting God in troubled times. And if you have a question, maybe you're in that predicament, maybe you're in the midst of suffering or personal crisis, and maybe you don't know what to expect from God right now because you're in trouble or doubt or uncertainty, let me know what question you might have for Tim, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Tim, it certainly seems like there's been a number of people that I am close to that are in a place of suffering and they are, their needs are real and it's um, troubling for me as I pray for them because they're, they're in need. And uh, of course I, I suffer along with them, but then you extrapolate that times everybody else we know, and boy, it gets to feel heavy. Yes, it is really heavy. And of course I've been dealing with that a lot since the military coup just having people desperately asking for help yes. and, and not being able to help them and why want to help them and you pray for them and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. And it's a test of faith, but it's also just heartbreaking, just heartbreaking, Bill. I agree. Let's um, talk about the power of prayer when we're in the middle of these overwhelming situations in in ways that we feel maybe powerless. Yeah. You know, I... I have believed in prayer more or less all of my Christian life, but it's actually been in the last, again, the seven last seven weeks where this has all really been tested. And what I'm experiencing about the power of prayer is that when there's nothing else I can do, money won't fix the problem. Uh, you know, protesting in the street doesn't fix the problems. Mm-hmm. Standing up against injustice it doesn't fix the problems. Um, when all we really have left is prayer and prayer together, I'm discovering how powerful that is. Uh, and I can explain more about that. But that's oh, I'd love for you to it, do. I'd love for you to do so. Okay. Well, that's what I'm just discovering again. Most recently, is that the power of prayer works on multiple levels. I think it depends on your situation and where you're at and just your own relationship with God. But on one level, of course, which scripture says, 
bring all your requests to God. And so just taking our requests, you know, unloading them off of our chests and bringing them to God and putting them in God's hands is actually quite a relief uh, many times. So on, the, on one level, just trusting God with our concerns is very helpful. On another level, just pouring out my heart to make that connection with God. And here's where I think the power manifests itself the most. So it's not just trying to somehow persuade God to do something for us. I mean, we all do that, and there's nothing wrong with asking God. We should ask God for everything that's on our hearts and minds. But what I'm talking about now is, is actually connecting with God. Just imagine connecting with somebody you really love. And you know how that feeling of having a great conversation, even if you don't solve a problem, mm-hmm. you feel connected and close? That's what happens in really heartfelt, sincere, faithful prayer. So that connection, and then on a third level, I'm finding there's a lot of power in praying with other believers who are doing the same thing I'm doing, pouring out their hearts. And and I might start that prayer feeling empty, feeling like this is hopeless, um, but we but I want to pray because we have nowhere else to go, and I do it with somebody else, and I find out that that in doing it, I'm suddenly filled. Mm. And it's, it's a spiritual truth that in the praying, in the connection with other believers, that something happens very powerfully. And I have taken so much strength and encouragement, and, the, and so are the brothers and sisters in Christ that I've been praying with every day in Myanmar, is that when we're done, we know the military is still outside the door with guns. We know wow. that. We know that somebody might die today. But this inner strength and peace that we feel, and they all the more, because I mean, they're there and I'm long distance. That is what nourishes. That's what enables them to carry on faithfully and not give up in the struggle. Tim, we often hear about the fear of the Lord. And one of the prayers I've been praying the last six months or so is that God would give me a heart to fear him this day or this week as I'm waiting upon him. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Bill, what do you mean by that when you say it? Because people use that term, of course, it comes out of Scripture. But when you say that, what do you mean by fear of the Lord? Well, I want to make sure that my heart is full of gratitude and awe and reverence. Um, sometimes when I feel frustrated because I'm waiting on something, I can feel a little bit distanced from God. It's like, mm-hmm. what up, God? When is this answer going to come through? Mm-hmm. And I, I almost feel that it it, I sometimes can be a little bit um, not as fervent in my fear of the Lord, which is absolutely a ridiculous statement, as I'm saying it out loud on the radio right now. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, let me, let me just make a couple comments since you invited me to do so. Uh, one is that absolutely a right attitude towards God is, is very valuable. I mean, God can handle any of our bad attitudes, fortunately. That's what makes him God and fortunately gracious and loving. So I think we, we should bring to God whatever is real. Mm-hmm. We're angry. We're frustrated. I find that when I bring, bring my junk to God and my, my frustration, it's actually beneficial. Why? Because I'm being honest, just like any human relationship. If we just try to perform or act in a certain way or gloss over our distress, we're going to feel distant from that person. The same thing with God. And so, so I want to say, yes, 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 you should try to fear God and have the right attitude. 
and at the same time recognize that sometimes you just can't. So don't try to fake it. Yeah. Don't think that fearing God is something to perform, uh, because that's just not the God that we see when we read the Psalms and how they prayed. Mm-hmm. They they came with their honesty. Job came with his honesty. And you might expect to be uh, humbled, though, if you do. Yeah. I have been. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I I, I <laughs> maybe I'm not looking at this quite right. And that's okay too. That's part of the process of me finding healing and wholeness. Right. Certainly Job had the fear of the Lord, though, despite everything he was going through. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So I don't think we, 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 we certainly are not supposed to disrespect God. And it is helpful to think about what we're gra- grateful for. That helps bring balance and perspective. I, I totally believe in all those things. Uh, there are multiple tools in prayer. But what I'm finding and have found to be the most powerful and helpful is honesty. Is don't just try to jump through hoops to please God as if... You know, if you get enough good points, then he'll finally listen to you. Mm-hmm. No, it's rather say, bring to God in prayer all your brokenness and imperfections and even sometimes even arrogance, but but do it sincerely. I know some people who will who have even shouted at me in their arrogance that, that they're right and I'm wrong, and then basically they do the equivalent of hanging up the phone. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes, come to God with your complaints and concerns, but don't hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. Listen to what the Spirit's going to say to you, because he probably, just like with Job, the Spirit's going to have something to say to you. And it may be a strong word or maybe a gentle word. God knows what word you need, but you're not going to get it unless you're honest and open and and humble enough to receive it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of honesty, Tim, a listener just said, I feel like the Lord has put a wall up towards me. I spend time in prayer and have started spending time in the Word and feeling dead, not feeling God or the Holy Spirit at all. I have cried out to Him, nothing. Yeah, uh, thank you for that question. Thank you for that honest question. Um, I, I I don't have statistics to tell you how many millions of Christians have had that exact same experience, but I do want to normalize that experience. And I've had it certainly at times, and pretty much anybody I've ever talked to, as um, so what's the answer what i think the the first question i would want to ask you back is what are you really looking for from god in that moment you you're interpreting the silence as god putting up a wall but i i rather view it as you are in in a prayer experience that's not satisfying to you, that's frustrating to you. You want something and you can't get it from God. Maybe you want a word, maybe you want an answered prayer. It's probably a good thing that you want. So I'm not criticizing it at all. Mm-hmm. Hey, but I find that in the silence yeah, Tim, of God... I hate to do this ahead, to you, yeah. Tim. I really hate to do this to you, but I'm up against a hard break. And what I want to do is yeah. pick this discussion up on the other side of the break. Because yeah, you're just bringing you're bringing home the goods right now, and I I want this to be not pressured for time. So, Doctor okay. uh, Tim Jeffrey is my guest. If you have a question or concern, please let me know what it is. We'll talk to Tim about it. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. 
I am back with uh, Reverend Dr. Timothy Jeffreyon, and he's written a book called What We Can Expect from God Now, Seven Spiritual Truths for Trusting God in Troubled Times. And right before break, uh, Tim, I had quite a question come in, and you started handling it very well, and I'd like to reset that if if I may. And sure, of course. The, the comment was, I feel like the Lord has put a wall up towards me. I spent time in prayer and have started spending time in the Word and feeling dead. Not feeling God or the Holy Spirit at all, I've cried out to Him nothing. Bill, I, I hear a lot of pain in that question. I do too. And uh, and I want to acknowledge that and just share for a minute about some of the things that have helped me in such times. I've come to look at the silence of God as a test of faith. Now, I'm not saying that it's I, I can't speak for God and what God is doing, but the te- what I mean by test of faith is it it has the the effect of being a test of faith, meaning that in those moments, my faith is being tested because I'm at a I, I, I've tried to do what I thought I was supposed to do and praying and asking and repenting and seeking God's will and, and it's not working out the way that I thought. And so what makes it a test is that at that point, I have to make a decision. What am I going to do now? And you know, we can continue doing knocking on the doors we have, and that's a, that's a legitimate option. Um, but we're also going to be tempted, or many of us will be, to give up at that moment. And that's the test of faith. Because at that point, we have to decide, am I willing to continue to trust God in the midst of the silence or not? Because the choice I make on my behavior now, continue to pray or continue to wait or just to turn my back on God or just you know, move away from God, those decisions will reflect, those actions will reflect the decision I'm actually making. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that we, we gather our tools, and there are many, that's why I would need to talk to this person in more depth, depth to get some specificity, but sometimes I just need sleep. Sometimes I need to go for a walk. Sometimes I really need a friend to talk to, to loosen things up. Sometimes the silence means this is, there's a dead end right here. I've been looking in the wrong places. God, God's the right place, but maybe how I'm looking to God is, is in the wrong place. And he's trying to get me to turn and look in a different direction or to a different resource or to do a spiritual practice, a retreat or a fasting or, or certainly just reading scripture. Uh, or do something that I haven't done before that's going to open the door to to, to what I need. Uh, it's not going to come in my private prayer, but it's going to come through one of these spiritual practices. Um, so there's many different possible results or, or courses of action. But the most important thing, I think, is to be honest about our feelings and to make a decision about, am I going to continue on in faith or not? And what that what's going to look like. Again, I could say more, but that's, I think, a good overview. I appreciate that, uh, Tim, very much. When I threw out this to listeners and said, if you are uncertain as to how to walk out your faith in the midst of suffering and personal crisis, I just got a a text from a listener, and here it is. 
My daughter is recently decided to be part of the LGBTQ community, and because I profess to her my love of Christ, she doesn't speak to me anymore. I told her that I love her no matter what, that I will not judge her, and will always try to be the best mom I can. I understand that being young is confusing everything I thought she wanted to hear, but she deleted me from her life. It feels like suffering for Christ because I won't take her side on abortion, sex, etc. There is suffering. Oh, yeah. Oh, that that is so painful. I I I just hardly have words to to describe what I'm feeling now, and just in sense of empathy and compassion for you, uh, listener, because I. I know you've shed many, many tears and and don't know what to do. Um, you're sharing a story, but I, I I'm sensing that perhaps you're you're also asking for comment, Bill. Would that be a fair interpretation? That'd be very fair. Yes, a little counseling comment okay. there would be wonderful, Tim. Okay. This too is a test of your faith. It's not all that there is. There's a lot going on here, but but remember this: you cannot ever change another person and we should not try and so the foundation for who we are and what we do in the world always comes down to what rock are we standing on i'm not talking about what position do you hold or your doctrines necessarily i'm talking about the rock who is christ and the test here is for you and i and i don't hear you wavering at all but what i'm saying that the opportunity maybe that's a better word the opportunity for you is to is to cling to Christ as never before, asking for strength that that you need to face this time of isolation and rejection by your daughter. You have no idea how this is all going to play out in the long run. And so the most important thing for you to do is to stay grounded, seek the consolation that's available to you through the Holy Spirit, resist the temptation to blame her, criticize her, or even over-spiritualize it. And what I found helpful in such situations is just to keep reminding myself that this person is a hurt person. So don't argue with her in your mind. Don't, you know, don't justify yourself, but rather recognize she is hurt. And we don't, I have no idea what the source of that hurt is, but for whatever reason, she feels the need to separate herself from you for her to pursue this course that she's on. So what what are your resources? Stay grounded, ask for a heart of compassion and and tenderness toward her that won't be wiped out because of how you're being treated. Um, Don't be condescending to her, but just stay firm with your relationship with Christ and a readiness to talk, to listen, um, if she does want to reach out to you again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's the best thing I can say to you right now. Such a difficult issue. Mm-hmm. Going back to a previous question, when a listener said, "I feel like the Lord has put up a wall towards me," and you responded uh, to that lovingly, Tim. Another listener jumped in and wondered if there would be a need for confession to make sure there's no sin blocking them from their relationship with God. Uh, yeah, remember I said a, mo- a couple moments ago that. The mature Christian gathers around him or herself a a whole array of tools 
confession is one of those tools. If you go to my website, I have 50 spiritual practices that I, I use when I do uh, leadership, spiritual leadership workshops with pastors, and there are 50, and that doesn't mean there are only 50. But my point is this, is confession is, is one important one, but not the only one. And I would su suggest that if the original listener hears that and he or she will know immediately whether that is relevant. The Holy Spirit will tell you if you need to confess. And so having said that, the second point would be, be careful about putting that on somebody who's in pain and suffering, because they're going to hear that as judgment. They're going to hear that as, well, God would speak to you, but this is your problem. You must be doing something wrong. And I'm not saying that's that's what the the uh, listener was suggesting by talking about confession. But sometimes we we don't do a very good job being empathetic about someone who's suffering. So let us just offer the whole array of spiritual tools and practices. Invite the the person who's suffering to look at them, to consider them, and pray with the spirit and say, Spirit, could one of these practices actually help me right now in my relationship with you? Don't assume that they're doing something wrong. That's just, I just, that's just not my experience. Mm -hmm. When you're uh, waiting for answers and the, the discouragement and the despair just is weighing you down, what, what helps, Tim? You know, honesty. Again, okay. what I said earlier I like today. Is, no, I appreciate is that. being honest. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't try to fake it till you make it type of thing. Uh, no, I think you, I mean, of course, in some places you do have to fake it. I mean, you need to be polite to people. You don't have to share your burdens with everybody and shouldn't. But in your relationship with God, be honest and just say, in fact, in the book, I have one of the chapters I talk about it. The day I woke up in the morning and I just, I just, I had no motivation. I couldn't do anything. And I just lay in bed and sometimes I can just pray, uh, and I do, about what I'm concerned about. And sometimes all I can do is say, help God. And I just have to sit there with my pain and that's actually been one of the most powerful, helpful, transformative tools that I know is to sit with my pain. Don't try to rush past it, pray past it, spiritualize it. I just say, God, I'm discouraged. I'm out of juice. I'm out of gas. I have no motivation. I have so much pain. I just, I can hardly stand it. And be willing to feel the immensity of that pain in the context of of a relationship with God in prayer, be willing for the pain to actually increase a little bit, the very thing you were terrified about, mm -hmm. but trusting that by being honest and open, that this, that gives the spirit more space and opportunity to work at a deeper level in your life. That's been my experience. Mm -hmm. I don't like pain, <laughs> but the, the more I'm willing to face it honestly in faith, the more I actually experience God at work in my life. And I've had so many times where all of a sudden, you know, God will do something surprising or bring some joy into my life or an unexpected answer or, or new perspective. And it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Thank you, God. But when I was in that dark moment, I couldn't see any of that. Yeah. And for me to rush, rush past that, to try to pretend to be spiritual um, when I just wasn't feeling it, cut short that process of going through my pain to get to a place where it's actually God who restores me. That's what we're really after. 
That's worth waiting for. Yeah, I know you don't like pain because you wintered in Hawaii and you're still there. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's right. Don't give me this pain thing. I've been able to endure it very well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a listener named Joseph said, "I, I meditate on this mindset. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. Again, I think he's offering a suggestion to people, and I, uh, it's great. I, there's so many scriptures like that one that are so helpful meditating on those. Um, but again, you know, right now in Myanmar, the scripture that helps them the most is, are the ones that talk about bringing down our enemies to the grave. Oh, for sure. Okay, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but the point is, look to scripture to find the passages that speak to you. And so for that listener, thank you for sharing that. That's a that's a great verse because chances are the reason you chose that is because that's what the Spirit's using right now to help you stay grounded. Uh, but somebody else might need a different scripture. So look, read scripture, read every day, ask Spirit to show you what in scripture will be helpful to you in your meditation and prayer. Mm-hmm. Tim, I love the way listeners on my show uh, minister to other listeners. So I will yes. get uh, text messages to me to pass on to other listeners. Now this this dear mother who has been alienated from her daughter because of uh, her decision, another listener said, um, a great resource for dealing with children in the LGBT community is a book called Out of a Far Country by Christopher Yuan. And I've had Christopher on the show three or four times. He's He's quite amazing. So... Out of a Far Country by Christopher Yuan. That's a good book. Let me take a little break. Dr. Tim Jeffran is my guest. If you are in the midst of some heaviness, suffering, discouragement, and you need to know what is next, let me know what your question or concern might be. Tim is a teacher, a counselor, a life coach. Uh, He does it all. So we'll take a short break. Send the text to 877-933-2484. If you like the old email as well, bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. The Reverend Dr. Timothy Jeffreyan is my guest. We're chatting about his book, What We Can Expect from God Now, Seven Spiritual Truths for Trusting God in Troubled Times. Uh, let's see, Tim, I have this. When God feels silent to me, I tell him that, then begin to worship and praise him in the meantime. What a, love, what a lovely yeah. comment from a listener. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That fits very well with what we were saying earlier about being honest. Be honest with God. That's how you have a relationship with, with someone. Mm-hmm. Another listener said, I look to the scripture to find what speaks to you. That's what you said. And he said, I heard that as I pulled into work. My mission tonight when I get home is open my Bible. I, need, I needed to hear that. Thanks and God bless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Again, um, connecting in a, in a very big way with listeners, because I think there's so many that are sitting on waiting to hear from God trying to feel that God is hearing their prayers and answering them, or maybe they're just in a very difficult situation. 
Let's talk about some spiritual and practical strategies for dealing with anxiety, because that's certainly going to pop up as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly anxiety, and it's not a separate subject, actually, because for those of us who have really put a lot of our eggs in Christ's basket, so to speak, you know, we really are invested there. And then when when our Christian faith and life or God doesn't turn out the way we think it's supposed to, it's, it, it produces anxiety. Uh, it could be you know frustrating, disappointing, heartbreaking, uh, but also make us anxious, uh, you know, depending on, on who we are. And, and so I find that it's just extremely helpful to have concrete strategies for dealing with anxiety. I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, a trained therapist, but I've done a lot of, of uh, work and listening as a pastor and also as a spiritual life coach certainly uh, working through anxieties with people. And, and so I just want to say right away, of course, my psychologist friend would remind us that sometimes you need medication, sometimes you need therapy. But we've talked just broadly for the average person. Anxiety is fear. And fear is that we're worried about something that's going to happen or isn't going to happen that we care about. Mm-hmm. It's also an indication that there's something that matters to us. So for me, the, the solution is not stamping out anxiety. It's like, oh, I shouldn't feel anxious. But actually let anxiety teach you. And say, so, so even if you're, if you're willing to do it, talk to your anxiety, by which I mean just ask yourself, hey, self, what are you so anxious about? What are you afraid of? And then let, let that lead to a, a more self-awareness that what exactly are you afraid of? And once you're clearer about what you're afraid of, then instead of just stewing in that, take it to God in prayer. That's Philippians four, uh, six through eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, look at, so that, that's strategy number one or one and two. But after that, uh, if, if I should keep going here, I, I do have this in the book. I talked about what's been extremely helpful to me is putting my anxieties in one of three categories. I determine category one is called act or taking action. If this is something I can do something about, the sooner I do something, the sooner I'm going to feel better. <laughs> if you're worried about what mm-hmm. somebody's going to say or do, um, and, and but they're just waiting to hear from you, just pick up the phone, write the letter, whatever you need to do and find out, just do it. And your anxiety will drop and soon you will have an answer. Category number two is wait. Sometimes we're just not going to know what's going to happen, you know, until, you know, our boss makes a decision, until, you know, a pastor or our family members decide what they're going to do, or until we get the results of a test that we took or a medical test. And I find that if, if I really know there is going to be a time when an answer is forthcoming, I tell myself, wait, wait. Now, that's easier said than done, but it is certainly practical because I just calm myself by saying, wait a minute, worrying about this is not going to do me any good because this is not in category A. I can't do anything anymore. So now I just have to wait. And why is that so important? One, it calms me down. But second, it also frees up some mental space and emotional energy to do something that I can do something about, reaching out to somebody else caring about somebody else, you know, being helpful or useful or using my gifts or service, the kinds of things that God wants me to do with my time and energy. 
And the way that God has it figured out and designed is often when I'm involved in those things, I feel so much more peace and joy because I'm getting outside of myself. So put those things in the weight category when you have to, when you can, and, and focus on what it can be productive. Mm-hmm. The third category is the let go category. Sometimes it's very clear that something is completely outside your control. You're not really waiting. I mean, there's no nothing coming up, but it's kind of an extension of the category too, because you realize nobody knows how COVID is going to affect the economy. Nobody knows really whether you're going to get it or not, or whether you're going to have a loved one who dies or not. Uh, I mean, I worried about all those things. I still do, but I realized I have to let go. You know, a bigger thing for me to let go of is just feeling anxious about unresolved family conflicts. And lately I've been going through a situation with one family member and I realize I have to let it go. I'm upset about it, but I realize I, I've done everything I can do. There's nothing left for me to do. And so I, this is now becoming harmful to me to continue to go over and over and over again conversations I'm not having or did have that, um, and, and, and to realize that it's finished. I have to let it go, at least for now. Something can change in the future, and if it does, great, I'm ready. But I want to stay ready for those changes. And if I just wear myself down with worry and grief and anxiety and going over and over again these problems, I'm not going to be ready when the person comes back to me or when an opportunity comes up. So these are practical suggestions for how to find more peace, but there's also a spiritual overlay that that there's benefit to you and to the kingdom of God if you would put some of these worries in the proper place so that you can get on with your life and do other things that are important. Mm-hmm. I love when my listeners show me their faith in action and their love. A comment, another comment from a woman that was dealing with the daughter's chosen sexuality. She said, my Christian husband left me and our one-year-old daughter for the gay lifestyle. Through my heartbreak, I made the commitment to love and pray for my ex-husband. It has been 35 years, and I recognize that only God can change his heart. I encourage this mother to continue to love her daughter. She already knows how you feel about her choices, so pray that her heart will be open to God's voice. I will include you and your daughter in my daily prayers. Bill, that's, that's a beautiful prayer and, and beautiful advice. Continue to love. Don't let that love grow cold. Uh, continue to pray. And but let me add something here because you use this word about choice. And if we keep using that in the evangelical world, we guarantee that we will alienate ourselves and be alienated from the LGBTQ community. These folks do not believe they are making a choice. Yes, they're making a choice about lifestyle and what they do. That, that's fair. But in terms of their sexuality, these folks believe this is who they are. And so any statement like you're making a choice or you're doing this or this is sinful is so painful to them that they feel like, like we are judging them. And you may, you may say, no, no, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just trying to say how I see things. But I'm, I'm telling you how they hear it. And so... Be careful about language. And loving means not judging, not determining. This is such a mysterious area, Bill, that 
that we're still trying to understand from a psychological point of view, as well as a spiritual point of view, even biblical point of view, that I think we need to go very, very far in terms of loving the people and and say, trusting them to make their own choices in a very, very controversial, difficult area, while still in our own hearts and minds, we can, we can and should have our own convictions, and we can live by them for our choices. All right, Tim, you're now free to go out and frolic in the ocean in Hawaii. <laughs> this, this concludes yeah, our time. Great talk. So you thanks, take an, un, an, untrained, an untrained counselor and an untrained radio host. We made a pretty good hour together. Yeah, I, I loved it. It's, it's great. <laughs> I did too. Thanks to all the people who uh, sent in their, yeah. their shared their it's, experiences too. It's very it's encouraging. Great. Let's do this again soon. Dr. Tim Jeffreyon has been my guest. His book is What We Can Expect from God Now, Seven Spiritual Truths for Trusting God in Troubled Times. Have a great rest of the week, Tim. Thanks, Bill. You too. You bet. That wraps up this hour. We've got uh, our prayer series ahead. Coming up next with Dr. Peter Kapsner and I will be uh, joined by Fuad Masri from the Crescent Project and talk about what's going on in the Muslim community and reaching others for Christ and how the Muslims pray, what we can learn about that. That's all coming up next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.